0: Hello and welcome to episode 184 of the Tech Reformation, where the world of technology meets the worldview of Christianity. This week, it's Craig, Tank, and Joe. Let's get started. So this week, I wanted to sort of continue a conversation I think we've talked about a little bit before. Uh, I know we did an episode at some stage on SpaceX. And then David and I recently just had a discussion about my strange uh, fascination with space travel, which has kind of uh, picked up in the last... Uh, Six months, I guess, Um, probably around, yeah, around sort of the time that the hype was starting to build for the 50th anniversary of the first moon landing. Um, And so I wanted to talk to you guys about that. And one of the reasons is because I came across an interesting article on The Verge that kind of had to do with um, space exploration, but more so space piracy, uh, which I didn't (laughs) know was really a thing at least it doesn't yeah. seem like it's been much of a thing until now um although there's been uh, have been a couple of instances of it so basically i mean initially one of the things i wanted to just chat about was uh, just to get a top level view from you guys as to what you think of the idea of space travel uh as Christians, like from a Christian perspective, I know that maybe not everyone is listening to the show is a Christian. Um, so you're probably already smacking your forehead and going, why, why are we doing this? But uh, I think it's an interesting discussion for us to have because that's the worldview we're coming from. And for a long time, I was kind of like, yeah, it's cool. It's cool that humans can do X, Y, Z, um, but it's a huge waste of money and that money could be better spent and all that kind of thing. Uh, and the more I kind of think about it, the more I'm like, well, you could, you're always going to be able to make the the money argument for a whole range of different <laughs> things. Um, you know, sure. we spend a whole amount on national sports each year, uh, but no one's really saying we should redirect that to other causes either. So, uh, it's probably right. about fundraising. Teachers often
1: are. What's that? So teachers often do because okay. they're like, we're doing something important and we make almost no money. And <laughs> I don't know. It always seems to come up around teachers anyway.
0: Uh, but I think we probably just need to be better at getting people on board with causes that matter rather than necessarily redirecting funds from other ones. If people want to put, you know, big corporations want to put their money into something like sports, then that's fine. Um, Mm. so I, yeah, I think, you know, my, I guess I've had a little bit of a shift uh, in thinking on this. Um, but yeah, what, what do you guys think about space travel, space exploration, space colonization? You can touch on any or all three. But what are your thoughts initially?
2: Okay. Um, well, I think uh, I'm a fan. <laughs> I mean, I think space travel, space exploration, and even space colonization are, are all. I think they're all really interesting, and I think that they're a they're a secondary thing that we can. I mean, they're a thing that we can focus on, and it and it puts people's it gets groups of people focusing in the same direction to achieve a goal, and that mm-hmm. uh, the the um, we have a lot of the technology we, that we enjoy today has a lot of that had roots in the space race and mm-hmm. space exploration. Mm-hmm. Things that had to be created to make those make those things happen, mm-hmm. uh, then led you know not necessarily A to B, but you know with intermediary points in between, you get from space exploration to microprocessors and you know the phone that you have in your hand and whatnot has some roots back in that. and so I think uh things like that where we as a as a um, humanity can kind of find a common goal, a noble goal to work towards can be uh valuable and I think I think uh there's some really good fruits out of that. So in that sense, I think it's really, uh, I'm for it with, you know, obviously you can't bankrupt a nation in the process of doing it and you, uh, and it, and it does, it does tend to be, you know, such the costs associated and whatnot are such that, um, there's a very limited group of nations and, and groups that can do it. But I think there's a trickle down, uh, effect there. And then as far as like, when people talk about the cost of spit sending, people to the moon and the billions of dollars spent, there sent, tends to be sometimes kind of part of that conversation tends to be like, you know, we just wasted billions of dollars to get someone to the moon. And what's the point of it. And um, a response that I saw to that on uh, an article I was reading one time that I thought was very interesting, I kind of I, I actually hadn't even thought about it kind of thought, you know, it's like, here's this money that just kind of disappears, because you throw a billion dollars away to get to the moon. Well, it's not like you shipped it up into space. That billion dollars <laughs> was spent at this laboratory and uh, with this propulsion company and with this research company and all that money actually flowed back into the economy of mm-hmm. that nation in, in the process of trying to get people to the moon. So there's certainly some things where there were some spent costs that, uh, you know, uh, that don't have recuperable value, but a lot of that, you know, the vast majority of all that that happened was you know kind of just spread out into the into the uh scientific community trying to make that happen so hmm. i think in that sense i think the costs are high but they're also um going back into research and things like that can that can be valuable for the human race in general
0: yeah so that's a good that's, that's a my good two point. cents that's a good point and seeing as how the lunar landing module was basically made of alfoil it can't have been that expensive anyway right
2: yeah, basically I mean how much could that <laughs> and I, I get a couple of rolls of foil for what? <laughs> seven bucks, I think. No. I, <laughs> I kid, I
0: kid. Take what do you yeah. reckon?
1: Um <clears throat> I think uh on just on the whole, I say it's not a bad thing. Um just as I was uh listening to um Joe say what he was saying, I I thought in my mind at least, it really a lot of the arguments that Joe made uh, relate a lot to what we just kind of said about sports, like, um, you know, in, in many ways, it, sports provides jobs, it provides entertainment, it makes people happy. It leads to other innovations that keep people healthy. Um, and so kind of the, in, in a way, the end goal is just kind of what seems to happen along the way. It just, people enjoy it and then good things happen because of it. And so it's like, people have always been fascinated with space and good things happen out of that because we want to explore it. Um, But like when I think of when, when Joe said like a, it's a noble cause for the world to unite around. um, I think it makes me wonder what, what makes it noble? Why is it a noble cause? Um, And the only, the only response to that, that I've heard, um, and there may be other ones out there um, that, you know, that, is the foundational goal, not all the good things that kind of come out of pursuing that goal, but the foundational goal is that idea of, um, that we can help humanity survive extinction level, uh, would be one. Uh, but another one may just be, you know, we can expand humanity's amount of resources larger by going out into these worlds that might have resources or at least more land where we could potentially grow stuff. Um, and so better support people. Um, so I guess yeah, that's that's my one question about it. Um, you know, why why do we why do we pursue that, and why do uh, many consider it a noble goal um, as opposed to just people think space is cool, let's go see what's out there. Yeah,
0: and I think sense? I think yeah, it does make sense. I think one of the interesting things about the idea of it being a noble goal, and I guess I've been thinking of it that way as well. But one of the things I find interesting about that is. It, it was called a race for a reason, right? Like America and Russia essentially had, or the USSR at the time, I guess it was, uh, had real, you know, tension about wanting to be the first to, to get there first and to compete with each other to get there. And, and then it was almost like once it happened, you know, there was first man in space, first, first satellite in space, first man in space, uh, first orbit of the earth, and then first uh, orbit of the moon and then first landing on the moon. And each one of those firsts, it was like a win for the country. But then for some reason, first landing on the moon, the whole world sort of came together and said, this is a first for all of us. And so like, mm. um, even mm-hmm. though the others were all firsts for all of us as well, this is one that uh, we all sort of will forever honor as being a particularly important moment, not just for a country, but for all of humanity. Um so that, that to me, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly what makes the moon so special that it it, it was more, it seemed to be more of a rallying cry for unity than um, some of those other mm-hmm. achievements. But it's interesting to me that happened. The other thing that I think uh, is that has sort of just fascinated me about it as I've looked into it more recently is that, um, you know, I, when I was listening to that, that podcast that I've mentioned a couple of times, times 30 minutes to the moon, just sort of hearing Uh, about Apollo 8 which was the first orbit of the moon and just considering like what is it like to be away from everything you know that's one thing Mm. then to lose radio contact with everything you know um, and to be Mm -hmm. on the other side of a planet that no other human being has ever seen before uh, Mm -hmm. where you can't see the planet you're from anymore and you're seeing Mm. like literally you're seeing every rock and crater that you're seeing no other human eye has ever seen what is that like and then the people who did that uh, from what I understand. And I think I, they played a bit of it on the podcast. From what I I could tell, none of them were super, super Christian or religious or anything. And yet, as they did their, I think it was like Christmas Eve broadcast or something, they read from Genesis 1 about the creation of the world. They basically just read through the, the creation story. Uh, and hmm. without being, I know, I know America is a quote-unquote Christian nation, so maybe it was just sort of part of the package deal, but it felt like it was something that the astronauts thought was appropriate to do based on the situation Mm -hmm. they were in. Um, And so I kind of think, you know, there's an element to which I think from a secular standpoint, in particular, space exploration has become a lot more about technological advance. How far can we get? What can we change out there? What can we, like we said, colonize or um, bring back for ourselves or whatever, you know, uh, get more resources from. Um, But I love the fact that that in the history of space exploration one of the one of the mm-hmm. first defining events was also marked by humanity going we think we're so smart to have gotten this far but getting us this far actually makes us realize how small we are <laughs> in the grand scheme of mm-hmm. everything that's out there um and so for that that reason almost alone i think uh, there's value to having that kind of a perspective which we may not have had to the same degree if we didn't ever do it um mm-hmm. So, that's, I, I guess that's an interesting, there's some interesting things there to keep in mind as we go into the rest of the discussion. The article that I came across on The Verge that I referenced earlier was uh, why so away creatures on the moon confound international space law. I've not really looked right. into international space law before. It's not like a, you know, something I read <laughs> up about every Friday night.
1: Light reading every night.
0: <laughs> well, apparently it is light reading because the, uh, I was reading something this morning that said the document that, I think it's, is it the outer space treaty maybe, uh, contains a few loose guidelines for how countries should explore space. Uh, and one article I was reading said there's 17 articles in this treaty or this document, Mm. whereas the Mm. document that we have for exploring the world's oceans is hundreds of articles long. (laughs) So you think Mm -hmm. about the size of the world's oceans, which are big in their own right, but then you look at, the entirety of outer space. And we're like, yeah, these are 17 principles you might want to keep in mind, um, which just kind of seems really bizarre in, in some ways. But basically what happened uh, sort of fairly recently, this is August 16 this year, so very recently, um, they're reporting that in April, there was an Israeli lunar lander launched from Florida that crashed onto the moon's surface, uh, that actually had some passengers aboard, which was in the form of a tiny capsule filled with dehydrated microscopic organisms known as tardigrades. These little water bears, they call them, are known to withstand very extreme environments and may have survived the wreck. Basically, the interesting part is that pretty much no one knew they were on board uh, apart from the person or persons a couple of people uh but there's only one person mentioned who planted them there who was from like a, a private i think a non-profit organization uh and yeah. that person's now saying like hey i'm the first space pirate like um you know stowing <laughs> something away and putting it where it shouldn't be and um you know wreaking havoc on a mission kind of thing
2: uh arch mission foundation
0: yeah which sounds kind of creepy in a way uh <laughs> But you know, so so some people are saying this is going to contaminate the moon and all this kind of thing, Um, and other you know, NASA is basically saying, look, if they survived, they'll be dormant, and they probably will die eventually anyway, depending on exposure to vacuum and whatever, how long Mm -hmm. it takes for them to get broken down or yeah, exposed to um, other elements that do end up killing them. Um, So NASA doesn't seem overly worried about it, but it has raised this whole issue of. Uh, how should we be playing nice in a place that doesn't actually belong to any of us? Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think on planet earth, we have this thing of, we all need to live here. We all need to, therefore to some extent, look after it and get along and do things that will help us keep living here. Um, Whereas it seems like in space, because it's more about exploration than uh, livability, at least at this stage, uh, people are being a little bit less worried about what they're (laughs) sending out there. Um, and so I guess initially yeah like T- tank brought up an interesting question uh you know off uh, off chat in our slack channel our, one of our admin channels uh, in terms of looking at again sort of from our worldview like does the does the biblical sort of creation mandate or the the um dominion mandate I should say uh does that extend to space like should we be worried about what we're sending out there not just in terms of who's going in in ships and stuff, which countries? But is there a degree to which it's our responsibility to be careful about what might impact something else that we send something to, like a planet that we send something to, or um, something like that? Is there, yeah, is there some level of responsibility there beyond that extends beyond fill the earth and subdue it to uh, other planets as well? You know, if if you go elsewhere, the same principles apply.
2: Well, I think that's a, yeah, that's a good question. I think the, uh, um, you know, in, in popular culture, we have things like the prime directive of, uh, Star Trek science fiction and things like that, where they would basically say, you go here, don't interfere with, uh, alien life or whatever. If you were to find it, I mean, unless it's Mm -hmm. really
0: cute. Then uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> so if it's if it's an ewok, you There's can do it. Is that what you say? There's
2: nothing in the fine <laughs> directive about dating alien life. Oh
0: dating <laughs> that <kind of> thing. <laughs> oh, oh, I see,
1: I see that. I was that. thinking okay. like a puppy <laughs> an alien
0: puppy. Yeah. Not tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> see now Another the no. Star Trek I- reference I just don't get. I mean I know what tribbles are <laughs> like, because yeah. I've listened to James White and he has some in his office, but
2: there you go. Yes, that's
1: about it. They can be troublesome. <laughs> uh, I I wonder if like like just going the most extreme I can imagine, and like going to Pluto or going somewhere even further off, and just loading up a ton of nuclear missiles and boring down into the center of the 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 whatever you're landing on, the the planet-sized thing, and then like setting them off, and just kind of being like, oh, we just want to know what happened. You know,
0: you blew up like, Pluto. That's what
1: happened. <laughs> and and let's see what the results like, of in a planet size explosion. It's
2: really not a planet, not anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that that would
0: be a waste of time and money, surely. Well, it was yeah, made I of mean, dust, guess- and now there's just dust in a different form. <laughs>
1: Uh, I guess in that in that line of thinking, like wasting money and manpower and effort and all that, that would be considered unethical just by that standards and potential like debris <laughs> that could hit other things. But anyway, I was thinking. My point was like, would we consider it unethical uh, to to blow up that planet because it's a planet? Yeah, or, I mean, it's in, in Pluto, principle, it's whatever I see what you're it is. Saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I, if so, then I guess there is some aspect to where we have at least some level of responsibility to these big rocks that are floating out in space. <laughs> yeah. And if not, I mean, then I mean, maybe we don't, maybe it's completely okay to do that. If we come up with a, a rational reason to use the money and stuff on that.
0: Yeah. It, it is interesting that one. Cause I think, you know, we've, I mean, we don't even, I don't I th- even think we have the technology to go to Pluto at this stage. It's a long way away. Um, but, mm. but, the, you know, something in me thinks, well, scripture only tells us to fill this earth and to do it, like I said before. Um, but I, I feel like inherent in that command is some kind of respect for creation generally. Uh, mm. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm elevating, maybe I'm taking that too far. I, I'm not sure. There's something I guess I can still put some more authority to, but um, mm. it just feels like, uh, you know, if we went anywhere else that wasn't this earth and just blew it up for the sake of blowing it up, for example, <laughs> let's take that example and run with it. Uh, that mm-hmm. would feel to me a little bit like, yeah, doesn't like, we know you created this God, but we don't care. We just want to go on. <laughs> we just want to see what happens if we press a button and have some nice fireworks. Um, and that kind of feels like, I don't know, wasting creation or, or abusing creation or something that just seems like, Sure, it's not the thing that we've been tasked with caring for, but intentionally going out to harm it or destroy it does seem kind of counter to what we're built for, if that makes sense. Um, mm. So I think that's that's kind of where I'm, I would land on that one, at least at this stage. Um, So the, I guess there's a few interesting things about this whole tardigrades thing. Joe seems to know much more about tardigrades than I do. He tells me he eats them on a regular basis.
2: Uh <laughs> They're delicious.
0: There you go. He told me they're delicious. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it raises a whole bunch of legal questions about like, who's really responsible because it was launched from America. It was Israel's rocket. Neither of them really knew what was going on, but whoever launched it probably should have known everything that was on there. Um, And, and, you know, it it just seems like uh, it's all a bit loose at this stage and a bit hard to sort of pinpoint who did the wrong thing. People who've done the wrong thing Mm -hmm. in the past have been fined. So there was a, um, a US aerospace startup called Swarm in 2018 that launched four tiny satellites into space on an Indian rocket. So it's like all these countries are like cooperating to get things up there at the moment because it seems like no one's wanting to put all, foot the bill themselves. Um, maybe <laughs> uh, And Swarm had actually been del- denied a license by the Federal Communications Commission, said it was too mm. small to track these things in space. Uh, mm. But then once it was up there, I think it split into three. Thirty-one different. Oh, sorry. The rocket that went up with it actually launched thirty-one payloads. So uh, there was hmm. the four swarm, uh, four swarm satellites, and there were all these other bits and pieces as well. Um, so they got they got a fine, which to me is just uh, hilarious. Like this, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't mention nah. anything about jail time or people losing uh-huh. their jobs and stuff like that. It's just, I mean, people may have lost their jobs, but it, you know, it's like a wrap over the knuckles for. Um, Sending something out into something that isn't, you know, no one really has control over, no one really owns, but we all sort of feel this, um, some kind of responsibility to it. I mean, there's been other things sent out there, just for people's information. We've sent the song Across the Universe by the Beatles. Uh, I don't know if it's still playing or if it was ever playing. I think it was. <laughs> um, Lego minifigurines of Galileo and the Roman deities Jupiter and Juno. Don't ask me why. Uh, a sound recording oh. of a kiss between a mother and child. Uh, Awkward, strange. Uh, Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, a prop from 1983, went up in 2007 with the Discovery flight mission. Wow. And a color photo of the city of Oxford in England, which seemed kind of, you know, narcissistic by Oxford. Uh, But there's a whole bunch of other things. Uh, Louis Armstrong song. um, Yeah, some strange bits and pieces. A Buzz Lightyear toy. These
1: are just floating around in space or do they go back down to earth? I don't
0: know. I mean, it (laughs) says they went with a lot of these went with Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. Uh, A lot of these went on particular missions. So whether they just went into space and came back Mm. or whether they went into space and then on a spacewalk they just kind of floated them. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I I tend to like the sort of semi-romantic strange idea of just floating random objects uh, in case (laughs) something else finds them. Um, Have you,
1: Have you heard of the Kessler effect? I think Kessler, Kessler syndrome, Kessler. No. Kessler, Kessler syndrome. Yeah. Uh, There's this, there's a fear that there's going to be so much space debris that like it's going to make a wall (laughs) of all this junk going around the earth. And that if you think of like the movie Gravity, if you've seen it and like this piece of space debris hits something and explodes. That is, you send anything up there, it gets hit by space debris, it'll explode, making more space debris, which will hit another satellite, which will explode, and like, like we're just going to have this big wall. (laughs) Yeah. And so, at least from what I've heard, um, they're actually like working on things like how to remove space debris in a safe way that keeps a wall from forming to where we can't, we're trapped inside of our Earth, because there's a giant wall that will make us explode. (laughs) Uh, uh, that's what I thought of when you wow. talked about Buzz Lightyear. Uh, the around.
0: irony: <laughs>
2: <laughs> exploring we space, we can't even and get all the wall. all the debris off of Mount Everest. So <laughs> I don't know, space to space debris debris, maybe a bit of a tough nut. The thing with all that, I, I've heard of that where there's a you know, there's all these thousands and thousands of objects floating around the Earth, but most of them are pretty small and. um The space around the earth is pretty big Mm -hmm. so like the chances of something even like you know that's one of the things that's kind of like gravity is a really interesting movie if you have seen it if you haven't seen it, i I recommend it i actually like the movie um but there's some real problems with the uh with just some of the logistical things in that movie where it's like Mm. yeah we're just gonna go oh we're in this space thing we're gonna go over to that space thing over there it's like no (laughs) Hey, no sorry nice try um so i i mean i think that that's an it's an interesting question it certainly is something that's potentially there's some issues of it but the uh we even that what was that there was a russian a russian capsule that went up to the space station that had a leak in it and there was a concern that it actually had been pierced uh, buy a piece mm. of space debris and that's why it got a hole in it and then mm. ultimately they ended up uh finding out that actually there'd been a manufacturing flaw that somebody had tried to cover up mm. uh well not a manufacturing flaw somebody drilled a hole in the wrong
1: spot and then
2: glued it over <laughs> and put a plate on it and then that
1: plate we're not off. going to space this will be fine
2: yeah it's no problem they <laughs> fix it he's, he's fine he's fine now <laughs> <laughs> you go to space it's good <laughs> um Super anyway cool uh, bomb. so but yeah i think the uh i, I think some of the the kind of like the people that did put the tardigrades up there it's kind of one of those that's just like and and they're you know essentially patting themselves on the back and saying haha ha, we <laughs> did this and it'll be interesting to see if there are repercussions from that i think i mean i i would say very likely they won't be able to put anything else ever into space again, ever. Um, Those people, uh, which I think it'd be appropriate because there is kind of a, there's, you know, kind of an honor system with the whole thing. So it would be reasonable that if you're willing to just kind of violate things in the name of, uh, you know, being a space pirate or something, then you probably (laughs) are not responsible enough to be putting things up there.
0: The problem is the names now in the history books, first space pirate, that's that's probably all that person wanted and now they've got that.
2: <laughs> that's true. That's
0: the issue. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, getting, I guess, bringing this back around to technology, we talked a little bit about, uh, Tank, I think Tank mentioned it or maybe Joe mentioned it at the beginning with, you know, uh, what they had when they were doing these original uh, sort of early space flights and stuff. The computing technology was so much less powerful than an iPhone, <laughs> like, uh, the, you know, everything was so, um, you know, yes, no commands and, and, you know, hit, hit two buttons, press enter to, to, to fire the next program and, um, less complicated, yeah. less sort of, uh, robust than what we have now in a lot of ways, but it was, ju- it was just robust enough to get us there. You know what I mean? Like it, we, yeah. mm-hmm. we just got, got over the line in that last 13 minutes. They were like, three or four or five program alarms that the crew didn't know was going on. They could have been abort points. Mm. They just managed to get through them. They had th- less than 30 seconds of fuel remaining until the- it was complete Ooh. abort. I think the guy who was on the stopwatch has said 18 seconds uh, was where he yeah. stopped mm. it. So, like, you know, we're talking the the absolute best of humanity's efforts and we still nearly didn't didn't make it uh, is another thing to me that goes um you know there's it's it's so cool that we we're able to do it it's also so cool to realize that every single time we put a person in space we have to put so much effort into making mm. um even the thing that they travel in into making that something that's going to keep this person living, <laughs> like, you know, mm. in terms of life support systems and, and pressure, uh, you know, uh, <sighs> looking after the pressure in the cabin and the temperature and the oxygen, like every single thing that God already takes care of, uh, care of for us here on earth, that all has mm. to be manually built and it can only ever last a certain amount of time. You know what I mean? Like there's, there seems to be, you know, there's timeframes on these things that have, they have certain lengths to the flights, um, Because all this stuff has a use-by date. It all all has to be kind of um, sent up for a purpose, for a time, and then we have to come back because this is the only place that that we know of that we can actually live. Um, Which is why it's interesting to me that in this article about about the tardigrades, the Arch Mission Foundation, uh, Uh it says that their goal is to create a digital and biological backup of planet Earth in outer space. So, or out in space, sorry. Um, I don't know how tardigrades, I mean, maybe Joe knows from the ones he's eaten, uh, maybe, like, I don't know how the, that does that. Um,
2: it doesn't. Yeah. So, so I don't they really found, see the purpose a, of that. They found what, you know, is essentially probably the most robust creature that we've ever found. Mm-hmm. Most to see likely still survived survive the vacuum of space. Sure. In fact, they have survived the vacuum of space before. Right. Um, but they found the most robust creature that they thought they could put up on the moon and would survive. And has very, very little to do with humans or humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I guess that that's another, you know, there's a huge leap from like from any of the, all of these firsts that we do, you know, first water bears mm-hmm. on, the, on, on the moon or whatever. Uh, there's a huge leap from that to, to colonizing any other, other planet like we talked about before. Right. Um, and I guess there's a question about this is maybe, this and the colonization question are maybe one and the same. Uh, but in terms of backing up the earth or even colonizing, I think one of you guys said you're okay with the idea of colonizing. What's, do you think that's actually an admirable goal for human, humanity to have to get the technology to get us there and then actually make it somewhat habitable at least?
2: Yeah, I think I said that. Yeah, I think so. Why? I think it's, because uh, it's totally awesome. Have
0: <laughs> you ever watched like,
2: a yeah, Hello. he ended
0: up eating potatoes grown in yeah. his own manure. These are <laughs> magical,
2: magical events that we should all participate in. <laughs> 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 no, I, I, it was a i honestly, a, so this kind of dovetails with a question that I had and then we could kind of all answer it together if you want. Um, and my question was, in the whole ethics of space exploration or colonization or even just the space program, what are your thoughts about the actual toll of human life, like lives that were lost in the process of trying to get to the moon. Um, And uh, even, you know, there are two, two entire crews of space shuttles were lost. uh, You know, one on launch and one on uh, reentry in, in the U S space program. Um, And then what about, in addition to that, if people, you know, they're talking about sending a mission to the moon and, you know, signing up for it and saying this is a one way mission you go there you hopefully survive and get to the moon but you will live out the rest of your days on the moon we have no plans or we don't Means. even have the technology to ever return you even if we wanted to so it's kind of like is the, moon there or the Martian, one except too? there is you're thinking
1: of mars <laughs> what sorry it was was it was it mars that they're doing that or is there one to the moon as well mars is where they're talking about that okay. the moon
2: yeah. the moon we can get people back from the moon we've done it before Uh, And we, and the the range is such that we could get materials to fly someone back if we, you know, it is part of the process ultimately, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it certainly wouldn't be easy or cheap. Um, but yeah, so, so what about the human cost of that? That's where I think it starts to get a little bit more dicey, um, because, you know, what's the value of a space explanation, exploration, um, put up against the value of a single human life, much less. You know, the tens at least. I don't know, we probably lost. I can think of, apart from things like test flights and things like that, but even just in actual space missions, I think there have been something like uh, close to 20 people would have died.
0: Oh, really? I didn't know it was anywhere yeah. near that high. NASA,
2: well, each space shuttle has seven astronauts. So that's 14 right there. Well, these days it and used to be were- three. <laughs> No, it was fourteen per per shuttle that was lost. So, so that's
0: right. And okay. then
2: the then three guys three guys burned up on the launch pad. Yeah. Uh, mm. In Apollo, what Apollo? What, oh, that was six Apollo
0: one. Something? No, Apollo one. I'm pretty sure it was like the Apollo f- one. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was the first, very first one. Yeah, and that made them realize um, we need to redesign everything.
2: So that's seventeen. I don't know if I, I guess that could be the total number, but I I assumed there were probably a a couple more but i don't know so
0: um yeah so what do we think about the loss of life and is it worth it yeah uh yeah this is something my wife and i recently watched first man which is the ryan gosling um uh neil armstrong biopic uh Mm -hmm. and she she sort of raised the same question i mean she was interested we both found the, the movie interesting but um she sort of yeah, that was kind of one of the things she sort of came away from it with. Like, is it actually worth all of this uh, heartache? Uh, because they do show in that movie, you know, they certainly show the three guys in Apollo one um, or not. They don't show the guys actually, you know, but they showed the, what happened, the effect, um, the fact that the, the, it exploded, and those three guys died. And they showed a couple of other people who died along the way um, before Apollo 11 was successful. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I mean, part of me goes, well, no, like we should never advocate for things that are intentionally putting humans in danger. Uh, and yet, uh, would, would we have said the same thing about early airplane travel? You know what I mean? Like those guys had to test things and, um, try basically a new mode of transport that had never been done before. Um, and they were relying on their understanding of physics and how things would, would play out once they got up there and all that kind of thing. And there were there were lives lost there. I mean, there's still lives lost today in, in airplane flight. Um, you know, it's not a foolproof thing. It's not, uh, you know, yeah, sure. These days, probably 98% of the time it is, but it's not always. Uh, and so, I mean, we just recently we had a whole aircraft go, I'm talking in the last three years or four years or whatever. We had that whole airplane go missing that Malaysian airlines flight that just no one knows what happened to it. Um, so Uh that's 280 people or whatever it was on board, just completely gone. Never to be seen again. Is that okay? Or should we all be, you know, should we all be saying, well, everyone should boycott airplane flights. We need to ground everything because it's too unsafe uh, because this number of people have now lost their lives and that's one too many. Like in some ways, I think any life lost for, particularly for a non-essential cause. Uh, so something like defending your country, you could argue is, is more of an essential cause, but uh, uh-huh. trying a new thing in a lot of ways is maybe a non-essential cause. Uh, but then again, we've all benefited from, these things maybe less so in, you know, in terms of, um, directly from the space program. But, but like you said, a lot of our technology that we currently rely on every single day had its roots in the the programming and and the hardware and the bits and pieces that were required from different companies all across, you know, the States and whatever to get these things to work. Uh, and and we now do benefit from that. So, um, I, I kind of think, you know, if it was, a, I guess one of the things that makes me feel a little bit, um, not, okay, not happy about it, but settled with it is the idea that these guys weren't conscripted from what I understand, like <laughs> these astronauts <laughs> who've died in space, were not, oh, yeah. we're not forced by the government to go and be monkey, like <laughs> test monkeys up there. And, and like, we have no idea what will happen. So we've right. chosen mm-hmm. you and you have to do it. These were guys who said, I'm up for this. I know it's dangerous. I'm going to do the best I can to train. So it's not a problem. Uh, but if something goes wrong, then I'm going to have to live or die with that fact. Um, right. And so that kind of makes me go, well, uh, you know, respect to them, I guess, for be willing to make the sacrifice for their families who are left behind. Um, you know, yeah, that, that's an even trickier question. Maybe, maybe it, it should have been the only guys who didn't have families to support or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you can. Mm-hmm, yeah discriminate in that way, but I guess that's where the rub comes for me is like, you know, watching the stories of some of these people who, you know, had kids and a wife back home and, and they're never coming home again. And it's not because they were defending their country or something. Um it was because they were a test pilot.
1: I think um in in thinking about uh yeah in thinking about sorry, that's a drink. I think in thinking about people giving up their lives for this, um, I'd say we could look up at, look at almost any job or even hobby ever and connect deaths with it. And so we'd have to ask that question was, was any, were any of these worth it? Like Mm -hmm. literally any job, any profession. Um, And ask the same question. If we're just going to look at people's people dying because of participating in that profession. Um, And so I really think that just, kind of boils back down to the question of is space exploration worth anything at all um and yeah as i've as i've thought about it and kind of the question that craig asked is should we be colonizing mars um i know i know that i'm not uh supposed to be um but i just think like is it is should humanity do it and i think you don't think you're to called like to be a mission, missionary
0: to Mars? <laughs> nope,
1: I'll pass on that. <laughs> I just think of like kind of prime, uh, like yeah, basic motivations, basic why should people do what they should do? And I think of the divine mandate of rule over the earth and be fruitful and multiply. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and I think in each one of the, or maybe not, yeah, in, in each one of those, um, we can see how, a person can have those as their motivation. You know, they mm-hmm. want to, they see the divine mandate extending to all this universe and want to be fruitful, multiply, go out and cultivate the whole universe as a place where people can live for the good of humanity, loving their neighbor and to be in awe of all of creation. Cause if we just think of what did the first people miss when they couldn't go underwater and see all the beauty that's underwater. You know, we can, and now we can, be in awe of God for his creation in the ocean. And so what are we missing out there in the, in the universe Mm -hmm. that we can't see? And so while, while I personally don't see myself pursuing, if I pursued space, I wouldn't see how I would, I can see how one could see those motivations for me. I would fulfill those four kind of things that I'm thinking of better in the route that I'm moving towards. But if someone were a Christian were to claim I am doing what God is calling me to. Um, I can see how he can say that faithfully, and so I think it's a a worthy task for people to pursue. <clears throat> yeah,
2: I, I, I guess I'd be kind of in the same ballpark. I think that the, I think the exploration of space gives us more appreciation for uh, God's creation, and I, I remember when I first saw the pictures of Pluto. Um, and just these intricate, beautiful, detailed pictures of this planet that we've never, you know, until last year, we never saw it that close. The best picture we had before last year was this just fuzzy, mm. you know, a little bit lighter, a little darker, we didn't even know why picture, mm. you know, amazing how much, you know, you can interpret from those pictures and how much we already knew about that planet before we flew by, by it. But flying mm. by that planet and seeing that big, you know, basically the big heart-shaped glacier on that thing and i was just in awe of like wow what a what a crazy thing for god to have put in space <laughs> mm. you know and to have waiting for us that thousands of the thousands of years of humanity before us never saw uh not even till 19 what was it 1933 or something or 23 or something when it was first discovered didn't even mm. know the planet was there and then uh those that knew it was there and were trying to take better and better pictures of it, uh, we're the first generation that gets to actually see that. And um, I, I feel when I see these, you know, the Hubble Deep Space pictures and all these sorts of things like that. And I know that some people take a different perspective of it because they don't come from the same worldview. But as a Christian, I come I come to these things, and I am just in awe of the grandeur of God's creation that He cared enough. Um, that that he is he he made beauty everywhere. It didn't just like just not not just on the earth, not just within our visible area around the earth, but well beyond our view. God's you know hand is to me clearly evident, and so I think exploring his creation is worthy, or worthwhile.
0: Yeah, I think that's so, probably a pretty good place to end it. I think I agree. I, I um you know there's. I don't believe there's any other living <laughs> space, uh, living uh, sort of species out there beyond our planet. I, I do sort of believe that um, God created this world different, and therefore, you know, it's easy to then argue that things like Pluto that we've you know only just been able to see, like you said in detail, are really there for us and for Him to enjoy. Um, and so even if we can only enjoy them from a distance and, and, you know, through pictures and stuff, just to have the perspective that comes with that of his creation, um, I think has some value. Uh, and I, I also think there is some level of, uh, you know, accountability to what we do with our creation, whether it's this planet or elsewhere. Uh, so yeah, I'd be interested to hear what people think during the week, uh, on the mm. slack, um, yeah. in terms of all of these questions. So if you're into colonizing Mars, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that because I'm kind of feeling like unless it's got direct benefits for what we're doing back here with the planet that we have been given a particular mandate over, um, I'm still a little bit skeptical about that whole um, deal. But yeah, I think uh, interesting to hear people's ideas about about sort of the technology side of it. Um, uh you know benefits that have come from that that we wouldn't have had otherwise and, and therefore whether you think that goes a long way to sort of justifying some of the costs um but also some of the sort of ethical questions around um how we should be going about it uh, and who i guess gets to control that who who has that say and uh what what's do we you know is it is it the bible that provides us with the principles that we need to um to do that in a in a in a responsible way and i'm sure that that there are um, principles we control there. Um, The other thing to just to mention is we talked last week about discourse. So if you have any thoughts on that, please jump in the Slack, which sounds funny. If you have thoughts on a new Mm -hmm. uh, community platform, jump in our existing community platform and um, join the conversation there. Just about whether or not you'd be interested in um, either shifting or adding uh, discourse as a different way to communicate with this community. Uh, It's a little bit more like I understand it as a message board or forum type situation than a chat room uh, with multiple channels. And so, um, yeah, we're hoping it'd be less, less of a, um, you know, since you last visited there's been 782 messages in this channel uh, type situation, a little bit easier to follow hopefully. uh, And also, yeah some of the issues we talked about in last week's episode maybe maybe not so much of an issue so um yeah if you've got thoughts on that there's already been some good discussion please um do jump on and tell us what you think
1: and there's also um our website techreformation.com and that's where you can see all of our past episodes and topics and there's also our
2: facebook page which doesn't exist
0: (laughs) it does we just don't do anything (laughs) with it there we go randomly people like it <laughs> this has been Tech Reformation. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Ooh. And I ain't looking back No no I ain't looking back No, no I ain't looking back No,
1: no, no I ain't looking back i made my choice and I ain't looking back.